Welcome to a very special RTV Warriors interview in our continuing interview series. Michael is not here today, but better than that, I am joined by the only guy at the chef's table who can say he has kissed Fat Maria Sober, Alex Boylan. What's up? Not much. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. How are you? All right. I'm good. I'm good. And usually with our interview intros, we dip, we typically dip into a pretty obscure reference to the point that some of the racers don't really remember. But do you have any uh, memories of Fat Maria from your time on The Amazing Race? Okay. So you know what's funny when you said that? You said the only person at the table. I used to host a show called At the Chef's Table about 15 years ago. So I thought you were making a reference to that. And then all of a sudden it's Fat Maria. So. I think I did because I think we kissed a tree named Fat Maria in uh, Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, an island off Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Is that correct? It was a reference to both things. I did mention the chef's table. Wow. And Fat Maria. <laughs> nice. All right. So I nailed it. Yes, absolutely. Two for two. All right. I'll take it. We had uh, Eric Sanchez from season 9-11 a few weeks ago uh, where we re referenced one of his scenes. And he was, he was confused for a minute. Then the memory started flooding back to him the more we... Uh, the more we progressed throughout the podcast. <laughs> okay, cool. I like it. I like it. Eric, I know I used to play, Eric used to live out here in LA, so we used to play volleyball together. So good guy. Yeah, pretty rad. Yeah, he still holds the record for, uh, well, I guess ties the record for crossing the Amazing Race finish line twice. That's impressive. That's a pretty awesome record. I wish I, I, wish I could say I've done that. I was only given one shot, though, so. It's not a really fair fight. You were never approached for uh, season 31 for next season where they're doing uh, all-stars from the Amazing Race and the other two CBS reality shows? Nope. 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 And, and I know the casting director. We all do. But um, uh, director, well, now, if they if they wanted Chris and I, they know where to find us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys probably aren't too, too, too difficult to find nowadays. No, no, that, that was a long time ago. Um, it'd be a trip. I, I would do it though. If they were like, we want you back, but I don't think, I don't think Chris and I make great TV. I think that's the most, you know, I think we are, I think that the show has changed a lot when there's no like, Chris and I didn't have drama. It was a good, we raced. It was a great, awesome experience. And it was a, a great, awesome experience. It's not like I can't even speak. Um, it was an amazing experience, but it's, I'm glad we did it early on because that was when, you know, racers could race. It was not as, not as many equalizers. So being a two guy, young, athletic, two people that traveled the world, you had an advantage. So I think we, I'm glad we got in when we did. I know Chris isn't quite out there on TV as much as you have been over the past uh, 15 years. Would he agree to do the race again? I mean, he's got a wife and kids. I can't imagine he would say no because he runs his own business, so he could finagle that. And I can't imagine his wife not wanting him to go. So I bet he would. Yeah, I bet he would. It's, I mean, we haven't talked about it, but I, I, I can't imagine he wouldn't do it. It would be like the when those uh, old school bands sort of get together for a reunion 15 or 20 years later and get to play together again. Yeah, it would be a trip. Well, it's funny because, you know, Chris and I go back to like kindergarten together and he's still, you know, one of my best friends, but we don't, you know, I live in LA. He lives in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, we still see each other a couple times a year, but, 
you know, it, it would definitely, it would definitely be probably more interesting to watch us, you know, in our early forties now trying to race around the world. That's for sure. Does Chris still have the same pair of jeans that it seemed like he wore in every episode during uh, your guys' season? <laughs> I know, you know, I, I bet we only had a pair of pants each, maybe two. Um, so that's funny that I never even thought about that. Um, but he quite possibly, Chris is a very simple man, right? And so he's, he's not, um, I could picture, hey, I could picture him probably still having those jeans and I could still picture him being like, what do I need like four or five pairs of jeans for? That just makes things complicated. You know? Wait, weighs you down. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, was, I was just reading a couple days ago that you guys would actually find a way to pack lighter for the next time if you were to be on the race again. Yeah, I mean, if it was, I mean, I think, and I, I should know this answer. I don't know how people pack now, but for sure, I'd almost have like a day pack. Yeah, I, I mean, especially with like the microfiber material nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, I mean, we had like full on backpacks. I mean, we were a little smaller than season one. I mean, those guys were packed season one. They were like packing tents sometimes because they didn't know what they were getting into, right? And then they started shedding. There's no template. Yeah, they didn't know. At least we had, at least we knew that. So, but we still had, you still had to, ch you check your backpack. It was that big. Once in a while, you might be able to bring on a plane. So I think that was the, you know, for sure I would be, this thing would 100% be, never be checked. So yeah, I'd be much lighter. And if another team were to bring it onto a plane, then you and Chris could just find a way to delay the plane to uh, make things inconvenient for the other team. Yeah, I'm sure we'd have a few things up our sleeves to make things, you know, put things in our advantage. <laughs> and would you, for footwear, would you be packing a pair of Tom shoes uh, while on the race? Wow. what a, These are great. First of all, these are great questions. Um, I I would want to support Blake for my season. And it's unbelievable what he has done with that company. Um, but no, I probably wouldn't. unless Unless he was like, I might be like, I'd support him by putting my tag on like a pair of Nikes, but I'd, I'd have a pair of running shoes. Um, so I was reading through your uh, casting story, like uh, in newer seasons for all these CBS reality shows, a lot of the casting stories are this video went viral. We know this one casting director or a casting director overheard us in a restaurant and approached us. Back then, you guys, it would have been such a small community that you don't, you wouldn't have those stories back then. And you guys had quite the, quite the casting story for how you got on the show. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, it was just an interesting time of life. First of all, there wasn't we found out we were going on the amazing race when the first episode premiered. So given we still were applying to something, we didn't know what it was. Right. So much different, obviously the world is today with all the reality shows and everything. So, um, yeah, I mean, to back up, I mean, I had just quit my job a year before that in Boston. I'd been bartending in the Caribbean. Chris had just graduated from Clemson. So we were both home in Boston and we were trying to figure, we were just kind of like, have, like, what are we going to do next? And I told him, I'm like, I'm not going back because prior to bartending, I was like working as a marketing analyst at this company in Boston. I was like, I'm not going back to that cubicle crunching numbers. I'll tell you that a hundred percent. And Chris was like this double engineering degree. And anyway, we were, we were just like having fun in Boston during the summer working who knows what types of, you know, whatever weekend jobs to just, you know, 
survive. And, um, and I, I literally saw like, you remember old pop-ups on your computer, right? Um, and so pop-up come up. You can use. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. So, I mean, back then it was just like something came up. I was like, Oh, race around the world. I was like, but Survivor had come out. So the first season of Survivor had come out. And I remember being like that. This, that's the first time I watched TV. I was like, that's awesome. So that was the only kind of gauge you had for reality television. Um, and then it was like race around the world. And yeah, I'd been fortunate to travel the world a lot as a kid growing up. And, and Chris and I, I mean, this is like so old school that we went outside. I grabbed my little sister and we had like a VHS like camcorder, you know? <laughs> and so, and just started rolling on uh, why we wanted to go race around the world. And so, and I remember the casting people when we eventually, got, they were like, you know, it's funny. We couldn't even see you guys. You guys were outside. It was dark. It was like evening time. And, uh, they were, they, they took us to the, you know, they, they invited us to, you know, go to the first interview based on just our banter back and forth. But yeah, so it was out of nowhere, um, that we heard about it, you know, shot a fun video. Didn't even think much about it. FedExed it. FedEx that video and, uh, back to CBS and forgot about it. And then we were, and at that point we were backpacking Europe, like maybe a month or two later. I totally forgot about it. I didn't think much about it at all. And, um, my parents were in this place in Switzerland and I was like, you know, I'm going to go swing by and see my parents that been there for like a month. And so Chris and I just swung in to see my parents while we're backpacking all around and the phone rings one night and we're playing cards and we're in like the middle of like, I don't know, middle of nowhere. And we're playing cards. My mom's like, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever heard the phone ring since I've been here. And I'm like, no way. And it was, uh, you know, CBS had, you know, tracked us down and wanted us to, uh, you know, come to the first interview. And so Chris and I, you know, shut that trip down quickly and went to New York, but it's crazy because that's before cell phones. So if I, I was only of the whole, you know, two month trip that we were about to embark on, I'm maybe f- day four or five into this trip, no cell phone, no way to get a hold of anybody. And I just happened to say, you know what, I'm going to swing through and see my parents real quick. And I was there for, I was planning on being there for maybe 48 hours. And then we were going to take off and it just happened to be when we were there, um, they got a hold of us, you know, and that, that phone rang. So if not, I don't know, they would never, no one would have found us. We didn't know where we were going. So yeah. Yeah. So crazy. So much tougher back then. Like now when I apply for Amazing Race Canada or Big Brother Canada, they give you the option to just record off of your computer with you and your partner or be able to use smartphones and it only takes me a couple oh, yeah. hours to edit it and put it together and just, you know, email it, just submit it online. You don't do physical uh, copies anymore. So it's crazy that you have the FedEx it and use the VHS camcorder and the casting agents have to be forgiving with the lighting. Oh, totally. Totally different world, for sure. I was telling uh, one of the other people that we interviewed uh, a few days ago that uh, the first uh, I recorded – the first 14 seasons of Amazing Race and Survivor and Simpsons and stuff on VHS tapes. <laughs> so uh, I still keep those tapes just for the the, the nostalgia stake. I, I don't think I've used the VCR in in several years, but it's kind of funny to have like season two wedged in between Simpsons and Futurama. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah, for sure. Different times. So. Do you remember much about the whole starting line and the whole sequester process leading up to uh, the start of the race? Uh, pretty, I mean, every part of the race, I 
I pretty much remember. Uh, so, I mean, it, it is almost 20 years ago, but I do remember it like it was yesterday. Um, so yeah, fire off. I, I'm, I think I remember. Do you have questions about that? Yeah, like how long? Cause I know it differs between the seasons now, where now newer seasons, they don't give you any, uh, fake out visas for countries you might go to, but you don't actually end up going to. Do they give you any, uh, fake out visas once you start the race? Honestly, it's a great question. I don't remember getting our passports. Yeah, when we started, they, they took our passports. So yeah, but at some point in time, I would have to see that. Yeah, I think we submitted, I don't know this and I'd have to double check with some, someone else, but I think we sent in our passports. I don't know if I ever saw that passport again until, cause we were, you know, flown into the desert of Vegas. And we had to kind of run to our cars and our backpacks. I think it was there. I, I don't know. You know, it's, that's a great question. This is a great question. I don't remember seeing much about, I don't remember ever talking to Chris beforehand, like, oh man, we're going to Brazil. And that was our first destination. And I would have, I used to live in Brazil. So I sure would have had that conversation if, if I knew I was going to Brazil before and I saw that in the passport, I, I, I can't imagine I wouldn't be telling Chris, like, oh, we're, you know, I speak Portuguese. We're going to be good. Like, whatever. I don't remember ever having that. So I don't think we ever knew until we opened up. I, I think there was this little pouch that was in our backpack. Have you ever talked to anyone on season two? We have to confirm this. I don't know. I think I asked Danny Nozzle, like, one question back when this would have been like 10 years ago where I was rewatching, I think all stars, but nothing directly about uh, uh, season two. I was watching rewatching all stars and I'm like, I'm going to look up Danny on, on Facebook. <laughs> see if he'll respond to random to a question from a random 16 year old Canadian at the time. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's super interesting. A, that, that's a great question. I don't remember ever thinking that I knew prior to it. And, and part of me, and I don't know, but like, I never really was thinking, I don't remember ever knowing prior to, and, but it makes sense, right? You'd have to have these, and I don't know if it's, I don't know. I, I had to th go through the whole countries. And I, I just don't remember like thinking too much and like looking at my passport saying, oh, wow, we're going here, 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 or here. And I a hundred percent would have, if they were, if I was holding my passport and I was looking at a bunch of visas i would have been having that conversation and i just don't remember having it so maybe we were going to countries i mean part of me even thinks was it pit stops beforehand that they were getting us into um this is, that is such a good question and i don't know the answer huh Yeah, I played for Kempinesi, a soccer team down there, um, my junior year of high school. So, yeah, I lived down there. I went to school down there and everything. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I say the older I get, the more I appreciate the upbringing I had of parents. Because my, my dad was a, is a pastor, or, you know, retired now, but was a pastor. And um, so I grew up traveling the world you know, helping the needy wherever we go, working with missionaries. Right. And, um, so I had a great look at the world as a kid, but yeah, they never, I mean, I remember I had this opportunity. They were going to put me in a school down there. I mean, I lived with a host family down there, but, um, 
Yeah, they, I mean, they didn't think. I mean, they sent me off. I remember they. I remember they having six hundred dollars in my pocket cash, you know. And my parents would say, "We'll see you in a bit." <laughs> and I remember they called me once a month because back then phone calls were expensive. So I mean, I was in the Northeast, like, you know. Yeah, it was. And a lot of people ask that question. A lot of people say that, and I'm like, "Yeah, sir." I mean, <laughs> my parents would take off. When I was starting in like seventh grade, they'd be gone for the summer on this island for like a month or so. And they would leave me with an envelope of cash. And I was like playing soccer and parents and friends, parents would pick me up and bring me back. I'd, I had a job. I'd ride my bike too. Like my parents were full on. Yeah. And I remember people thinking, this is crazy. But, you know, if anything, they, they definitely raised us, all the kids with a lot of freedom and you're going to skin your knees, but better to prep you to, you know, survive. So we were not sheltered as kids. It wasn't like we were abandoned. They were, my parents were very loving and awesome, so I never want them to think like that. But they definitely were not like scared of you going off into the world and experience something. And did that start at a young age, for sure. Yeah, they didn't promote to have a, a fear of the world uh, like a lot of other parents uh, would when their kids start to. Yeah, and I, I think in general, they were definitely because they traveled, right? And so they just knew. And, um, yeah, so I think, and I think, I think they know the, the power of those experiences and what they can have on, on children. So I think take that with compounding faith and, and knowing that, you know, whatever's supposed to happen is going to happen to a certain degree. And they also weren't like, it wasn't like I was like a young kid running around wherever I want. I mean, they knew I was going to be like living with the family and, you know, there's going to be people, you know, who have my back when needed. But yeah, they were. And I think nowadays, unfortunately, Instagram's an amazing thing because you get to see the world, but everyone just, you know, communicate, you know, just, you hear of every little bad thing nowadays. That's not really the case in the world. 99.9% of the people are good and, uh, you're going to be fine. So. Yeah. Like I went to, uh, South America for my first, uh, for the first time a few months ago and my mom messaged me on Facebook every single morning while I was in Colombia. <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. I remember my mom had a motto when I was like growing up. And I remember her saying, no news is good news. I can remember her saying that. Yeah. No news is good news. Does that tie into when you guys got a random phone call in Switzerland and she probably assumed it was going to be uh, bad news rather than you are on or you're getting closer to being on the amazing race? Well, yeah. I mean, I think I don't even know if my mom knew. Like, I don't, I don't know if I even said anything. I mean, my parents, when Chris and I replied, yeah, I don't know what she, I think she was just like, you know, yeah, I don't, I, I think she was like literally like, I don't know, like CBS is trying to get a hold of you guys. What's going on? So I probably explained to her that I was what I even applied for. And imagine at that time prior to a show's out, like they don't really, no one have even a concept what it was. It's like, Hey, yeah, we applied for this cool thing that we don't really know what it is, but it sounds awesome. Right. So, but it was, you know, we felt like it was big enough because I remember we cut our trip short. So, yeah, you guys would have only been the Survivor debuted at the end of May of 2000. So you would have had just less than a year into this boom of the rally TV genre that there's it's not like now where you have so much history, not just with the States, but now Canadian or Canadian versions of everything in Australia and all these other countries where everyone knows what the genre is now. Oh, yeah. Completely different time completely different time i'm glad we I'm, i feel like blessed to be part of that time i think there's pros and cons to both but um i like being one of the old school guys yes very old in fact you can now have the record on this podcast for 
the longest hiatus between your most recent Amazing Race appearance to being on this podcast. We had, uh, we had the Guidos. We had the, 18 years. Yeah, we had the Guidos as we used to only do one interview per year. And our very first interview was with the, the Guidos about four years ago, but they were on all stars. So technically you would, you would hold That's that record. Funny. All right. Well, at least I got one record going for me. That's nice. And I guess that, uh, you probably wouldn't have thought about it at the time, but. Going to Brazil as a teenager was actually the, the start of your alliance with uh, Tara and Will on the race. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, I can remember, you know, you make, you make judgments so kind of quick because it's, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, don't, I do remember us being on the plane and I remember just having a conversation with them. And, you know, originally I was actually it was Will who I was starting to befriend early on and on that plane ride. And I remember us just talking. Not that a real alliance, I don't think you can't have some alliance that's going to last a whole season anyway. It just doesn't make sense in the Amazing Race. But back then, you don't know, and you're just like, yeah. So I can remember us. I can remember Will and I having a very distinct conversation where I was like, listen, I'm going to help you in South America. They were kept talking about Southeast Asia, Thailand. That if we ever get there, that's their you know jam, and they know how to navigate. So yeah, definitely that was the uh, you know conversation but it was such a different time because like i remember writing down or maybe telling taryn will like some brazil sayings like muito rápido like go really fast if you're in a cab like whereas nowadays the amount of people on this planet who speak english plus with self like it's just a different time so you know running around brazil back then your language barriers are definitely going to be a problem not that they aren't now but definitely a different time yeah, like a couple of years ago, I was, it was my first time out of, outside of Canada or the States. I went to, uh, Western Europe and Cuba for four months and I stayed with my cousins in Italy. Only the one daughter could speak a couple hundred words of English and the rest was just sitting at a table, passing back and forth the Google Translate to one another to communicate. So funny. Yeah. And I, you know, and I've heard of, I know about Google Translate. I've never actually used it, but. Yeah, it's funny. I can remember sitting at the dinner table of my host family who no one spoke English. No one spoke English. I think there's like four people in the whole city I lived in spoke English. See, my soccer team didn't speak up. My English teacher at high school didn't speak English. And so, uh, yeah, I can remember just sitting there like a sitting duck and just being like, this is so awkward because you just have nothing to say. But I'll tell you the benefit of old school, new school for long-term travel. I don't think for weekends or, you know, short-term, but Brazil, within three months, I was speaking Portuguese, you know, like getting around zero alternative. You start dreaming in Portuguese within like a month, three months. I was for sure getting around in it. And I remember like by the time I was leaving, like I could actually pick up a book and understand it. Not like I wouldn't be reading War and Peace, but like a magazine or like look at a newspaper and be like, oh, I could like actually read a little bit, you know, and that's, you know, no formal training. You know, and, and the difference, I always use that example because I used to live in Germany and like in Germany, because everyone spoke English better than, you know, maybe I spoke English um, coming from Boston. It was totally different. It was so hard to pick up the language because I'd speak, you know, start speaking and try to speak a little German and they just speak English back to me. So there's something to that immersion that is awesome. Doesn't it feel like because uh, I've gone through that similar experience, too, but. Isn't it feel like a bit of a fail when you try to speak the local language and then they just respond to you back in their language? It's like, oh, I guess I didn't try hard enough. 
Yeah, I am. Well, the world, yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, I feel like if they know you're trying and they, and you want to help, but if it's like, let's get to the point, I'm trying to, which bus am I supposed to take here? Yeah, I guess it's all depends on the context, but yeah, definitely, definitely interesting. I love, and I, I wish, um, I always wish I, I picked my language skills were spread out over so many different, I took French in high school, lived in Brazil which was Portuguese, then took German, like lived in Germany. It's like, I should have just stuck with Spanish and then tried to really like own that language. Uh, was anything I could go back and redo. That's what I would have done. I understand that Chris, Chris spoke Spanish, right? I, I mean, I think he, I think he did all right in Spanish in high school. I, I mean, yeah, I guess he's maybe a little bit. Just a little un poco. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I don't know how fluent he was. I don't want to. Chris is really smart, so he probably was fluent at by the time he was in high school, just taking the class. So who knows? Just wanted it to be a secret weapon, I guess. Yeah, definitely. He had the rest of South America covered, and you had Brazil, had Brazil covered. Yeah, exactly. And now that we've brought up Will, I have to ask, what's what's the best Will story that you have? There hasn't really been a guy like him before since uh, <laughs> since your season. Um, that's a great question. I mean, here's the thing. Will's, Will, I haven't seen him since. I mean, I think I saw him like twice after Ray, so I haven't seen him in 20 years, right? I'd love to see him and, you know, say what's up. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, it felt like, but you remember, I'm sure you've gotten this from other people, but, like, the amount of pressure and the amount of, intenseness that's happening while you're racing will change people. And, and sometimes you'll see the, the best of you. And maybe you're even yourself, you'll see the best of some yourself. You'll see the worst of yourself. I think it pulls out like the strongest emotions just because of the competitive nature and constant moving, just the environment you can't replicate. You can't buy that type of experience. It's amazing races. It's amazing. It truly is. So, I don't, I prep, I'm saying that because I want to preface, I don't want to knock Will. Like, Will's a good guy and, and, and I'm sure he, you know, but definitely for me while I was on the show, we definitely had it out for each other at one point because he was just like, he almost seemed like bipolar, but I, I think he was more in this, I think he was super competitive. So I think that nature came out and then add in, you know, pissing Chris and I off a lot and add that causing me to, I'm like, okay, maybe I will, you know, start, dabbling in, uh, in, in Terra and then, um, you know, add all those variables and make anyone go crazy. So, um, I don't want to knock him, but yeah, I'm trying to think of like the best story, best story of Will. Perhaps once we get into other moments during the season, there'll probably be a connection made. <laughs> I mean, I, I think everything, I mean, the good thing is like everything you see on television is like the highlights of the highlights. So every, anything that happened, um, yeah, you know, he was just, he was just a, a super competitive, will cut any, cut any relationship at any point in time, which, you know, is not a, which is certain people's strategy out there. So, I don't know grudges. It would be amazing if you held a grudge after uh, 16 years. <laughs> just come into this podcast and just blast him as much as possible. Just lay it on well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I know you said that uh, you've only spoken to Will the pa- uh, a couple times in the past, well, 16 years now, but I have a feeling you've probably talked to Tara a bit more than twice over the past 16 years. Well, you know, Tara and I dated after the show, for sure. We were full-on dating. Um, 
I'd say for me, I mean, my gut would be like three or six months maybe after the show. Um, and then, and then not, I'm trying to work. We, you know, we had a reunion party t- like eight years ago, five years ago. I don't know what it was, but it was a 10 year anniversary of Amazing Race and CBS put on this awesome party down in Miami. Oh, wow. And that brought a lot of people back. And, um, so, um, I think, I think she was there. I, 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 I want to say she was there. Um, and that's where we really caught up. Yeah. I, the more I'm thinking about it, she was definitely there and we caught up a lot there. So, um, but she, you know, she's, she, I don't know if she's married, but I know she has a kid and I believe still out here because I think my sister, my sister lives in the area where she used to live. So, but not, I mean, definitely we're talking at least like five or 10 years since I've seen her or talked to her. Wow. Um, are the gutsy grannies still alive? Are they still, are they still kicking? (laughs) I see them on Facebook. Um, I, so I think they're doing great. I don't know. It's funny. It's like, as time goes on, I mean, if you want, I can tell you who I do keep in touch with. It's hard for the people I don't, you know, so I I don't know exactly what's up with the gutsy grannies. I mean, it'd be so much fun to have another, you know, have a reunion of our, you know, season getting back together, talking about it. Um, but, uh, you mentioned Danny, Danny and I keep in touch. So if I'm in my, I just, I just saw him in Miami, like within the last two or three months. Um, I was, I was, I had a layover in Miami and so we always, if he's in LA or if I'm down in Miami, we'll keep in touch. Um, Shola and Dwayne are out here. And so we'll no, I don't, I'm not like we keep in touch every once in a while on social media. Well, I think we've tried to meet up for drinks here, but, um, have been unsuccessful, but, um, do you, do you, do you play volleyball against Shola and Dwayne? Does he have to have a rolled over ankle? <laughs> no, I know. You know, what's funny. You know, who we used to play this is like when, when, um, the game show network, I think bought the second rights to amazing race when they started airing amazing race. They did a party and I remember going to that party and then there, and that's where it actually became like, do you remember Dennis Frentos, Colin five? Gwynn? Yeah. yeah. Colin Gwynn, uh, Colin, I just saw Colin come Colin. So there's some people from other seasons that you just, you know, connect with and then become so Colin, we all met there. They, uh, we were all volleyball players. So we used to play, I mean, if you rewind like six or six years ago, maybe we used to like, Oh man, and those are my guys. We used to play volleyball like all the time. Um, and then we all, maybe even longer, a longer time period ago, but, uh, you know, Colin, I was just at Colin and Christie's and, um, in Austin, Texas, like a couple weeks ago. So I still keep in touch with them. So you would be familiar with who's on season 31. I'm going to take a guess. <laughs> I don't have no idea what's out there, what's not. So I'm going to, I'm going to plead the fifth on all of that. <laughs> we have talked the, Who's being cast is has been very openly publicized. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I um, but and that's yeah. So I I I keep I, I keep calling Chris, Colin, and I became really good friends when they lived out here in L.A. They lived in Santa Monica as well, and then um, and then Eric Sanchez, we became friends a lot because of uh because of volleyball too, and then he's back in Florida, I believe. So um, you know. So there's, it's, it's funny how like there's an old school people like, I mean, Burton Roberts from Survivor has been my business partner for, you know, 12 plus years now, um, with almost everything I've done. So like there's, there's a, like a Survivor amazing race, big brother 
you know, mix. Yeah, you're you could see but you, Burton and Jeff Schroeder are fairly tight. Yeah, well, you know, and there's there's different ones because you know, Burton and I created the series around the world for free, right? Where one person has to make it around the world with no money using the help of the online audience. And that first season, you know, was done with CBS the news like CBS this morning like folded it around and then CBS Interactive Digital came on board and started, you know, bought really bought the franchise and we we did two more seasons. So season two was and this is a lot tell me if you don't want a story about Jeff Shorter, but like that's where I met Jeff. Like because they were casting we were trying to cast the person to do the second season. We were going to put poverty in it, but CBS we were just getting pressure for it to be a guy from somewhere i don't know where and then um so i remember sitting around i talked to so many survivor friends and like ethan's a good old good friend i still keep in touch with ethan a lot he's a massachusetts guy and we're we're still good buddies colby donaldson from so this is old school guys that are we're all good buddies so anyway i'm talking to different people and no one was really right but they wanted to be a male and they wanted to be from cbs right so that was kind of like my mandate to cast this person and so um I'm going to say her name, but I don't think it's a, but anyway, she's in marketing. She's the head of marketing at CBS, VP of marketing at CBS. And O'Grady is a good friend. And I asked her and I was like, I, and she goes, and she brings up the name Jeff Schroeder. And she's like, and do you know who this guy is from, from Big Brother? I think you'd really like him. I think he's perfect for the show. And I remember I got off the call with Ann. I called another friend of mine who was at casting at CBS for a while, Erica Shea, who was on the, you know, on Amazing Race as well. She turned into casting at this point in time. I remember calling her up being like, what do you think? Ann just told me about Jeff Schroeder. She's like, oh my gosh, like, he's awesome. You know, I love him. So I remember we flew Jeff out and Jeff, um, and, and then, you know, as soon as we met Jeff, I mean, Jeff and I are like brothers. You know I mean, like, yeah, love the guy. And, and, uh, and as soon as, you know, we had dinner one night and that was it. And then he went on that, that turned into a lot. We, Jeff and I did, you know, and with Burton, because Burton and I ran this production company around the world productions and Jeff, as soon as he worked on around the world, man, we worked on a lot of shows together, you know, cause he's such good talent to work with so much fun. So we were just coming up with ideas and pitching up to CBS interactive or travel channel, what have you, and did, did a lot. So, you know, Justin Denver now hosting a, a morning show. So, um, but I saw, him, I saw him in Denver not too long ago, within the last six months, but, yeah, so Jeff and I are good good friends. Did you ever see uh, Jeff on The Amazing Race? Because I think he did the he did the second season of Around the World for free right after his stint on The Amazing Race, if I remember the chronology correctly. I think you're right. Um, I should know this. I don't remember exactly. Um, I remember I remember seeing a couple episodes, and I now every time I think of like Jeff and Amazing Race, like. All I hear is him like self, like self deprecating himself and being like how bad he did on the show <laughs> or something like that. So, um, I, I do remember mom, but I don't remember a lot of the details. So we've been, we talked to, uh, Kelly who made it to the final three of season seven. We've talked to Tyler, a BJ and Tyler. We've talked to Eric Sanchez and a lot of them said that they pretty much quit watching the amazing race shortly after they were on. And I know you were saying the same thing that you've been. Uh, haven't been watching for quite a few years. How long has it has it been? Like ten years or so since you've watched The Amazing Race? Um, embarrassingly, probably yes. I mean, here's the thing: it's like any show, right? Like, you get, if I get into it early enough, 
then I watch, then I'll like be hooked on it. But yeah, it's it's been some time that I've like been glued to my, you know, and my television. But I will be saying, I will be watching this next season. You know, I will be watching this next season. It'd be pretty tough to avoid it, I guess, with all of the old schoolness that's being incorporated into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as um, yeah, I I had heard that uh, you know, Colin and Christie were gonna be on it. Like they uh, that was oh my god, I, I'll watch this because yeah. So I think if there's someone that like brings that I'm close with for sure, you know, like for if Bird went on the show or Jeff went on the show, any anyone like that went on the show for sure, you'd be watching, you know. So um. You know, but I, but I, you know, I, I still always rave about it, and I know it's you know one of the best shows on television. There's no, no question about it. I don't watch, I don't watch that much TV, so that's half my problem. Yeah, you don't. But based on all the stories and how you're brought up, you don't strike me as a guy who could just be sitting in front of a, sitting on the couch in front of a TV or playing video games too much. <laughs> well, it's it's funny. I mean, I've been in Everson Amazing Race changed my life in the sense that it got me in entertainment, and I've been in you know television or, or content business ever since. But yeah, I'm not a. Um, yeah, it's funny. I don't sit around and watch a lot of stuff, which I should, but I don't. Maybe another 10 years, it'll be a TV show of Alex sitting on a couch catching up on uh, three decades worth of television. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do remember, I will, I will say um, that I have had multiple racers say to me, have you watched, you got to watch, this show's so much different. Like, there's so many more, like little rules and different ways to compete against. There's just a lot different. I mean, we had a roadblock and a detour, right? And the first person to get there, that was that, you know? And uh, there's a lot more gamesmanship, I know now. So There's definitely that hyper-awareness that it's a TV show, the cheesy sound effects being thrown in. And I actually wrote down notes that uh, for your guys' this season, really the first two seasons, you guys were already understood the structure of season one to the point that after your guys' the season, they had to start changing up some rules. Um, specifically, one that I think of is that you guys were, it was highly telegraphed when non-eliminations were happening uh, from what how it was presented on TV. I Honestly, I got to tell you, I never, there's a couple points, because here's the thing. I mean, Chris and I should have been eliminated a couple times, right? We hit non-elims, right? Um, and I remember, like, I didn't know. Like, I, I think about it, like, I, one time, I'm trying to remember where we were, but it was a non-elimination leg, and I was, like, like, so bewildered, like, oh my gosh, like, we lucked out. There was another time in Thailand, I remember Thailand, it was such a short, it was just really short. Like, I mean, you got off it, you did one or two things, I remember just kind of, like, walk, like, being so lackadaisical. I'm going to the finish line and it's like you're last but it's a non-elimination leg and I was just like wait that was a so I remember being like really surprised by like the fact that we're already at the finish you know we're already at this you know pit stop and then I remember in Hawaii we were down to the final three but they said you know we had to check in just like anything else and I remember them being like you know but it's not an elimination leg and I was like oh so it's only three teams. I thought they always went the three teams go to the end. So anyway, yeah, it's definitely, they definitely, I mean, I know it, but it's, they, the, the way the production needs to stay ahead of the gamesmanship of the show and 
the sheer grit of like that what contestants will do to figure out hacks around certain things. You got to give all the credit in the world to, you know, Bertram and Elise that are, you know, behind the show making it, you know, changing it up and making it different and making it tougher. Would you have been like ever since I think season 15, they started separating the teams from each other where at the end of the pit stop at the, at the end of each leg, the teams don't, uh, don't get to hang around each other anymore. They all get sequestered from each other until the next leg starts. Um, do you think you and Tara would have been as close on the race if it wasn't for having those sequester periods to get to know everybody? And I wonder why they do that. Do you know why? I'm curious. Well, in season 13, there was an incident where one racer accused another racer of pushing their uh, sports bra off a, a window ledge in one of the hotel rooms and uh, accusing them of trying to sabotage them, but there wasn't any production crew around to confirm whether that was actually true and then we've heard other stories where production wants to always be able to capture any interaction between the teams so that nothing is is hidden from them they always can tell the story and i think another component we've heard uh that we've heard too is that it helps with stuff like u-turns and yields now where they or i guess just u-turns now where it helps teams be able to U-turn each other and stuff without having that tight personal connection and feel any guilt or emotional connection to the racer that they're doing it to. Wow. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there, there's, I mean, to me, that's where a lot of the relationship stuff is bond, you know, you're bonding, you know, because you're just sitting around and hanging out talking, you know? So it's a great question. I, I honestly, I, I might, yeah, of course, I, there's those times where you, you know, those are the only times, only times you got to relax around those. What I remember really was like the 36 hour pit stops and long rides. Besides that, cause like the 12 hour pit stops, and I don't even know if they do 36 hour pit stops anymore, but the 12 hour pit stops, it's like by the time you are like go through your interviews, you know, your post interview from that race, get a shower, get some food, get some sleep, you back at it. So the 12 hours, I don't remember hanging around that much. Um, but, uh, I do, you know, 36 hours is when you could, you know, let loose a little bit. Yeah. Nowadays they do the entire filming in 20 days. I think if I recall correctly, your guys' season took about five weeks to film from leg one to the end. Yeah. If I'm correct, it was 28 days. Yep. That's a lot. That is a lot longer. Um, not every pit stop seemed like it was a fun, jovial time for everybody. Um, if I remember correctly, there was, uh, I think there was, uh, slightly, there was a bit too much alcohol going around at one of the pit stops. Yeah, that was South Africa. Well, they put us in a winery. <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> the most stressful environment possible for TV, and they put you guys in a winery. Yeah, I, I, I do remember it. I remember that, like, because uh, uh, I, I felt bad because I remember Chris and I, I remember, I think we, because I think they were like, Production was trying to, production was, you know, I think everyone, you know, a couple glasses of wine or whatever, but like, I remember Chris and I, I think we went down to like, found a basement and got like a case of wines. So I remember us like, starting to light, and we were young kids, we were lighting it up a little bit. And, um, I can remember being upstairs, we we're all, a lot of us were in one room, maybe all of us. I remember like, some people were swearing, and I remember like the, uh, the preachers. Uh, I just remember them getting so mad and like, you know, he got so mad up there 
and, and just started kind of like screaming at everyone. And I just remember feeling so bad. I was like, oh man, because you just, you know, you got young kids, you got older people, you know, you just have a lot of different people all like kind of sharing the space. Um, so, uh, yeah, I remember, you know, definitely. I mean, you listen, they're, they're, t- they're, they're, are, um, casting A type individuals. And so you take a bunch of A type individuals, you give them some alcohol, there's going to be some fun involved. Yeah, I'm just trying to think just how great of a, of a story it is to tell to that you, that you got, that you got drunk on the amazing race and got into a fight with a pastor. That doesn't, that's not a story you hear too often. <laughs> yeah, well, and I got to, I remember, and I don't remember getting in a fight. I just remember like swearing was going on. Like I, and that was it, what it was. And ironically, I remember my, my father, like that was like, you know, the worst. He hated swearing. But I just remember, I remember him like, I can remember him like snapping at the, whatever conversation was going on. And I just, I just remember feeling really bad. I was like, oh man. So yeah, that was fun. That was a fun, I don't mean that exact experience, but everything about it was, so I remember like, there was just shenanigans going on. Would that happen at the next Amazing Race uh, finale party? Would you guys try to replicate that? <laughs> Well, yeah, I don't know. I, if, I, I hope we make it to 20, and so I hope CBS does another fun party for us. But that, uh, yeah, it's always... But you know what's funny? I mean, we're a lot... I mean, I'm, I'm 41 now. And not to say I don't like to have a good time, but I'm just saying things, times are different. I mean, we were like 24 years old, you know? And so, 23 or 24, I can't remember. But like, it was, you know, so there's a new crop that I think will be, you know, shutting the... turn things up a little bit. Yeah, like uh, when uh, last year I went to the Mason Race 29 finale and I met Brennan and I went up to him like it like uh, I got smuggled into uh, Brennan. Brennan Brennan's yeah. a good friend of mine. Yeah, he lives on the west side. We're like we ha- I see Brennan almost every weekend. Oh wow. Yeah, he lives right down the street from me. So you could just like open up a window and just shout at him and he would be able to hear you pretty much. Well, I don't, I don't know about that. He he lives in Santa Monica. I live down in the peninsula in Marine Del Rey. No, LA, like, anyway, he, and he just got an apartment, like, right near Mike's. He wanted to check out kind of Venice Beach area for the summertime. But yeah, Brendan, Brendan and Rob, because Rob's still in LA. And so those guys, it's funny. They were like two of the first people I met when I came to LA. And, uh, still, you know, I'm still good friends with Rob too. And those two guys are really tight. But because, yeah, Brendan and I, you know, we're, we're, we play in a bocce ball league on Tuesdays on the, out on the beach. We're playing games, surfing, messing around. Yeah, we're, I, I see Brennan all the time. A bocce ball league. You guys definitely are in your 40s, then. <laughs> well, it's a really fun – it's a beach bocce ball league. Oh, beach. And it's all – just to change up and imagine it's – yeah, it's like a 100-person team, 100 teams in this league. It's the funnest Tuesday night summer activity league to be part of, yeah. In the, you're in the heart of Venice Beach playing bocce ball for basically about 30 or 40 minutes before – Everyone goes to this bar, but it's a really fun league. Wow, that that does sound uh, like a lot of fun. And, and ironically, sadly, Brennan won it last year. Brennan won it, won it with one of our buddies, Scotty. He won the whole thing in the tournament. The tournament's next weekend. So next weekend's like everyone. It's a it's a big party on the beach, and it's like single elimination. All the teams are in the league. It's re- it's a really funny thing. But there's a lot of skill. I'm telling you, there's a lot of skill that goes into that sport. It's tough. Especially, I've only played bocce ball on regular grass, and I, I, don't, I assume once you get sand involved on the beach, I assume the physics gets a bit Totally more. different game. Yeah, completely different game. Completely different game, yeah. 
And when Brennan won the last league, was uh, Phil Kogan there? Uh, did he like unveil a mat and say, 100 bocce ball teams, 700 throws, yeah. Brennan, congratulations, you are the winner of Venice Beach Bocce Ball. No, 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 Phil Kogan. No, Phil Kogan. Phil did play. We did a, um, we, this is fun. I, after we did it, we're like, we need to do more of this. Ethan was doing, putting on a soccer, was part of a soccer tournament that's happened in LA. And there was a reality division within this massive, like, weekend kind of tournament, six on six soccer. And Phil came and played on that. Swain and I were played on that. It was probably like 10 racers, you know, that played on that team. And proudly we won the reality division, knocking off the bachelor survivor and big brother. So that, that's definitely, uh, that's how close does that come to winning the amazing race? No, nowhere close, but it's always, it's always, you know, I don't know. I don't know what happened the year before, but I heard that amazing race team was really bad. So I got some calls. Ethan was like, you got to play. And so a couple of us, uh, joined in there and, you know, try to try to show Amazing Race some love in the game of soccer. Next time you got a maybe the gutsy grannies were they like the clutch performers of your team? They weren't there. They were not. They did not make the squad. Well, no, I shouldn't say. They didn't, I don't mean that. I didn't mean they didn't make the squad. I just said they weren't there. So they could have played it. The gutsy grannies come out there on the squad. Yes, they they would have. They they just wanted to give everyone else a chance in the tryouts. Exactly. Awesome. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh yeah, you guys. We don't really see this penalty really come up uh, too much anymore. But I guess at one point you and Chris got penalized for speeding during one of the self-drive legs. Yeah, that was in Africa. I think in Namibia. Um, yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I, I gotta tell you, I, I wasn't sure about that. Like, I, I just, I don't know. Yeah, we definitely got penalized and i remember kind of being like frustrated and bewildered and like not understanding it you know so i mean nothing against production but i was just like i got i, I don't i just don't remember i just don't remember spe- like consciously speeding you know not to say that we weren't you know i, I but i remember getting that penalty maybe like chris has tunnel vision while driving on the road and you're looking down on the map and both of you guys maybe miss the sign for what the speed limit is. Very well. could have happened. Very well. We've had uh, uh, about 10 seasons ago, there was a team that got eliminated on the first leg. They were in plain sight of Phil. And for whatever reason, seeing Phil didn't register to them. And they just walked away from Phil within like, I'd say about 50 yards of him. And just walked away, and then another team uh, checked in uh, during that time, and they got eliminated just because of how extreme that tunnel vision was. Yeah, that can happen for sure. Um, We noticed that I think Blake, near the start of the season, was asking people for money. And I know since then, um, everyone's been forbidden to do so. Do you know if you or any other teams uh, ask locals for money while on the race? I don't even remember. I mean, maybe that I don't remember Blake doing that. Did he do that? Wow. I think he wrote to the sign like I'm on a CBS show and just had the pen and paper out and asking the uh, people for donations. Wow. Yeah. Smart. Um, I don't I don't remember. I don't remember doing it. I don't remember doing it. I don't remember, honestly, for me, because. 
like I don't remember money being an issue. Like ever. Like I just I, it's not like we were spending money like ever frivolously, obviously not, but I just don't remember um money being like like, oh, if I don't, you know, have and I probably should have been savvy like that and saving every penny and probably trying to scrounge for more money. I just don't remember being an issue. Like I just you know, we had cash, you know, when we would need it for something, you know, whether that be a cab or a bite to eat or what have you. And you've been around the world for free, so money really isn't uh <laughs> I'm a minimal minimal I don't need anything. Yeah. Um, since you were on the race, they've experimented with the uh, three different types of penalties for coming in last place. When you guys were on, you guys just always uh, got off scot-free. Um, but n- which which non-elimination penalty would you fear most? The first one they did after you guys were on was they take away all, both your bags and all the money that you have with you. The second penalty they did was uh, if you weren't first place on the following leg, you had to wait 30 minutes until you could check in. And now the penalty that they've settled on for the past 15 seasons is you perform an extra task that takes about 10 minutes to do. Which one do you, would be the toughest, uh, you think to overcome? The toughest one to overcome? Yes. Um, I have to think about that. What are they again? There. Bags and money taken away. They call it the film mugging. Uh, (laughs) the second one is if you're not first on the next leg, you have to wait 30 minutes until Phil checks you in. And the third one is you have to perform an extra task that roughly takes 10, 5, 10, 15 minutes to do. Well, I think, I think, uh, I think if you don't get in first place, wait in 30 minutes. I mean, because that's going to be the biggest time hindrance. That's sort of my gut would go, you know. I wouldn't care about the bags. I mean, like if I need to go thirty days with the same clothes on my back on race, I'd be fine with that, you know. Chris has been um, using the same jeans no. for fifteen years. Yeah, Chris is already. You know what I mean? He's only got one pair anyway. So what's he? He's got nothing to change into. <laughs> um, what was the biggest strategy? I know you guys talked about how just going with your gut instinct is the best thing you can do on the race, but what was the best? Uh, or rather, what was a set strategy or various strategies that you guys would use throughout the race? Honestly, it's funny. It's like, and like, I wish I had some like brilliant answer here. Like, we didn't have a strategy. Like, we were just going out, like, go as fast as you can. That was our strategy, you know? And, um, but I think overall, and I think this is how I approach life, which is kind of interesting. It's like, I'd rather, I don't know if this is the right strategy. It's like, I, I would, We'd make, obviously, Chris and I made mistakes, right? We just never got down about our mistakes and we just never gave up and we never stopped moving as fast as we could. And so I would say maybe that was a strategy or more. That's just our personalities and just the way we approached it. I think, you know, at 41 would probably be a little bit more radical in our, in our moves, but, um, you know, you go, go, but you know, every, it's like that, that, that subtle, consciousness speaks to you like when you're in a cab like does this guy know what we're going or not am i going in the right direction or not right and is this the fastest way and so um yeah i I would say that chris and i weren't like we weren't we weren't sitting around strategizing you know oh we might be thinking about like oh how 
Yeah, I don't. But even even that, it was like when the race is on, you're just at least for us, we're just moving as fast as we could. And I think overall, but this wasn't a strategy. It was our personalities. Like we never, you hear other teams bicker. That's not Chris and I's. You know, we've been. We played sports together. We grew up together. We've been through goods and bads and tough times together. So any um, struggles that we dealt with, we just, you know, ran them over like a no pun intended speed bump. Like we're just cool. All right. One of us screws up, whatever. Move on. Like never like knocking each other, never being like, you know, you, you know whatever. You might be like encouraging or pushing each other, but never um, being negative towards ourselves. I think just in general, although you might not see it, I think in general, Chris and I, like are super positive people and you know, we got this, you know, and, and not, not don't, when things aren't going right, don't, don't lose your marbles, you know, just keep a steady hand and, um, don't give up. Well, all of our listeners probably wouldn't remember this, but, uh, CBS had you guys labeled as bouncers. Were you aware that that's like the, the archetype that they were trying to <laughs> slot you guys in prior to the race? Because, I'm sure after hearing all the no, stories no, no. so far, that that couldn't be more contrast to your guys' uh, uh, background. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't think I think I think there was like a moment, you know. Be, I mean, here's what happened: um, Chris and I were 9/11 happened during cat, like literally, we were on casting, like in the final rounds of casting in Los Angeles when 9/11 happened. Okay, and I say that because what I'm about to say in a second. So when after they pushed that race back right it was supposed to go whatever whenever we we're supposed to leave but it kept getting pushed back because i think they were whether production was rerouting us or reanalyzing can the show happen under that you know america and the world didn't know what was happening right so when we went back to boston we would just keep hearing you know hey things are good they still like you x y and z and eventually when they launched the first season we had been called that day. I know. I remember getting a call. You guys about to watch. You guys are on the next one. But the date for it to go kept getting pushed. And I, we were in Boston. And I you know, I went to school in Florida. Chris went to school in South Carolina. Neither one of us wanted to stay in Boston for a winter. So we didn't really know when this thing was going to happen. And so I say all that because Chris and I had left. I was like, I'm going to go back down to Florida where I went to school. Chris was like, hey, cool. I'll come with you. Let's go kick it on the beach and go get some jobs until we figure out if this thing's happening or not. Honestly, that is literally what we did. So we packed our bags up because it was like September, or, you know, winter was slowly rolling into Boston and we were just wanting to live someplace warmer and cooler. So we went down back down to Jackson Beach. And so, yeah, we were taking like just random jobs because we couldn't sell into anything because we were waiting for this, you know, awesome opportunity. So was at one point in time that like Chris and I like bounce at something? Yeah, probably, but like, I'm not, you know, I mean, we are, Chris is bigger than me, but we were, but we were taking odd jobs, like bartending here, maybe bouncing here, doing, doing a door here, doing whatever we could just to like, you know, pay our rent out at the beach, um, until the show happened. So is it accurate? Probably for one of our jobs, but we were just in a, you know, a transitional stage of life working any kind of odd job to make money on the show, you know, and Chris is a, Chris is like a double engineering, engineering degree. I was, you know, I was a market analyst and, business degree so it wasn't like we were like lifelong bouncers we were just 23 year old kids trying to you know have a job while we waited for it to happen that just happens to be the job you have right before you go on the show (laughs) yeah totally we've heard some stories about some very interesting overnight accommodations that teams have had whether it be in 
waiting for tasks to open up or at pit stops. What was the most interesting accommodation that you guys had while on the race? Oh, junk boats, Hong Kong Harbor. Oh, you actually you slept in those junk boats. Yeah. Um, actually, no, we didn't. They shuttled us. That's right. They shuttled us back to a hotel there. Um, we stayed in tents in the middle of Cooper PD, which is in the middle of the outback. That was the coolest for sure. And we stayed in tents in Alaska. We stayed in so many cool places. Yeah, we stayed in tents in Alaska. Was that better than the office building that I think you had to stay? You uh, during the round the world for free, you were stuck overnight in a in a somebody's office while traveling, and then you were also caught up in a, a bit of a, in a bunch of Kenyan protests for uh, for a day. <laughs> yeah, my accommodations on around the world were much more interesting than amazing. Well, I shouldn't say that. Like amazing race were very dramatic and amazing. Right. Around the world for free is such a different animal that, you know, one day you're sleeping in a mansion, the next day you're sleeping on the streets and everything in between. I mean, I lived with monks for weeks on, you know, yeah, totally different experience. Yeah. No, no monks uh, hanging around on the amazing race as much, I guess, except maybe Thailand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had monks in Thailand for sure. Um, did you ever have any uh, camera or audio duos with you who may have slowed you down or were a hindrance to your race overall? No, I don't think so. You know, um, you're not really allowed back in those days to develop or they did a, a great job of, I mean, every different leg of the race, there was a different cameraman sound person. So you're never able to, you know, develop that much of a relationship and, and they're pretty strict about ever like having personal conversations obviously to, you know, create any kind of imbalance there. So, uh, nothing I can remember of. I mean, there was, I'm trying to remember. I feel like there might've been a couple of scenarios where, you know, mics or something go down, but, uh, and then the, the other, you know, I don't know if anyone's ever talked to you about this, but like the only other equalizer, other thing that was out of your control is that if you came out of the airport, I can't remember if I talked about this or not, but it, when you come out of the airport, you might have your bags through and everything, but you know, the camera guys have to, you know, they have carnets and they have to get their stuff through, um, different countries. So sometimes that would happen. Sometimes you'd be ready to go, but your camera guys, your camera and sound guy would not be ready to go. And that definitely would cause some frustration, but easy for me to be like all nice about all this. Cause I won. So <laughs> yeah, there's no bitterness on your end. You, you there's no bitterness on my end. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Um, did you ever have much interaction with uh, Deidre and Hillary during their limited run on the race? Uh, yeah, I think everyone, I mean, I think you become a family throughout this whole experience, whether you were the first team off or the last, you know, team standing. So, um, yeah, we, I mean, I, I, it was, you know, it was limited, but it was, yeah, def I definitely remember them. If I saw them right now, I'd be like, what's up? Like, you know, so, uh, I, I can't remember any kind of major thing during the race with them, but. I remember uh, their story was awesome, and both of them were, like, super, super nice. So if they walked by you uh, at Venice Beach, you'd recognize them, and they wouldn't be shunned by you whatsoever? Never. No, I wouldn't shun anybody. I'm, like, I'm a, I'm a nice uh, Pisces. You know, I get along with everyone. But, like, so, no, I, I, but yeah, I would love to see them. I feel like they were at the 10-year reunion. I saw them there, but I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Um, 
During the second elimination with Hope and Norm and Blake and Page, uh, there were stories that came out that I guess Blake and Page's car had broken down and that they were last and they would have been eliminated, but then production gave them a time credit. Are you able to uh, confirm that story at all? You know, it's funny. I, I remember there was definitely some controversy. I don't know. Did they get a time credit? Because I don't think it was like, oh, they checked in last. I don't think it was like a situation of they checked in last and then they found out, oh, sorry, no, a team that checked in before them, you know, they, I think Hope and Norma last. I think if I'm correct, but I might not, it wasn't part of me and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't with them during this whole experience. I think it might have come down to they got another car. Or they got another vehicle. I think there was some type of situation there. And I, I honestly don't know enough of the details to be able to really comment on it. But I do remember a little bit of controversy being talked about. And did they change, because starting next season, they changed it to where no team ever gets a time credit if their car breaks down. Did they wait till the end of the season to change that rule? Or did they say at the end of the second leg, okay, guys, we make this exception once, but not again for the rest of the season? I, honestly, I don't know. Like, I don't remember. I mean, I got penalized for driving too fast. I remember the the twins, they got, you know, stuck in the desert with their car. I don't, I'm even trying to remember some other scenarios. I think there was some other scenarios with vehicles. I always thought if your vehicle breaks down, sorry, that's the luck of life, right? So I don't, I don't remember anything majorly of like, oh, we're going to adjust your time. The only part I could speak about was that. I supposedly drove too fast in Namibia and they penalized us for that. Besides that, I don't remember or wasn't part of anyone, you know, any time credits one way or the other. I don't remember that being a big play in our season. And is it true that the sheep outnumber the people in New Zealand? I believe that is a statistic, but, you know, I'm not Wikipedia, so I don't know. Don't quote me on that. And did you get to go by uh, Phil Kogan's house during your time there? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the pit stops. I believe that was one of the pit stops. I think it was. If it wasn't, we definitely were there. I mean, there was a there was a really funny challenge, probably one of the funniest things, was uh, Chris trying to herd these sheep. I remember dying laughing watching this. And that was on Phil Kogan's farm. So that was really cool getting to see where he grew up. And I knew that was extremely special for him. To, his dad was around. And, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, then you fast forward 11 seasons later and they're using his dad as a, an official pit stop greeter. Yeah, it's awesome. In <laughs> um, your guys' uh, final leg of the season, you guys were raced before a time where they did any sort of final memory challenge or final task. Do you think you and Chris would have been the type to prepare for that if you guys knew something like that was coming? I think, I mean, here's the thing. Back then, we didn't know what to prepare for, so we couldn't prepare, right? And so, I think, but I think also in general, our age, our little bit of cockiness, we probably wouldn't have. We probably just been like, we got this. Now, you know, if I race the race again at 41, I definitely would be probably more thoughtful and, you know, be preparing in a lot, a lot of different ways. So, um, hard to say when you haven't been put up to that, but I know that, if I was going into it again, I would be preparing as much as possible, over-preparing probably for the race. Whereas at 22 or 23, whatever age I was running around, it was, you know, we got this. 
Yeah. <laughs> just rely just rely on your youth. <laughs> yeah. Everyone had a good time uh, picking on Itchy and Scratchy a bit in the cast. Do you have any fun stories about uh, those two guys that we didn't really get to see on TV? I, you know, I, it's funny because you're asking me stuff from so long ago that I just I, they were really funny. I think I had more fun watching. Not I don't remember so much from the race because a lot of times you know you're you're only seeing your own race when you're racing. At least during my season, you're alone a lot. You're, you know, you will come into certain challenges, of course, and see other teams and there's pit stops. But, you know, my memories are Chris and I tackling certain challenges or tackling dealing with certain issues or problems. What I do remember after the race, there was a lot of us here in at Los Angeles or I'd say ha- maybe half the third to half the teams were out here. So we would do these viewing parties and um, I remember them there. And I just remember they were so funny. How they would just, like, I remember them, like, at one point in time, there was, like, this, I can't remember what episode it was, but they were making, they had these one-liner jokes about every single team. And I I can't, I'm paraphrasing here, because I can't remember what it was, but I remember one thing, but at the point they got to describing Chris and I, they were like, oh, Chris and Alex, these are just dumb jocks running around. They don't know what to do without beer bongs and, you know, I don't know, girls in the case, whatever they said. And so I just remember dying laughing watching the show with them being like i had no idea how funny you guys are because they were so funny um so i think that's my probably my biggest and, and uh, memory of those guys and it's been a long time i don't i i feel like i haven't seen those guys like in a long long time so i hope they're doing well yeah one of them i can't remember if it was itchy or scratchy but one of them ended up being a story editor for season five of the amazing race where he was a production member in a one-off just for a one-off and he's Never appeared in the credits for the Amazing Race uh, before or since. Yeah, I do remember that as well. I remember him getting a job on one of the shows. I remember hearing that. Did you guys were you guys aware of the strategies that Oswald and Danny were using throughout the race? They were kind of like unorthodox, almost like the Leota Machitas of the Amazing Race, where they came up with their own strategy of finding this woman named Fern and just have just I just charming her into taking them to every route marker around Thailand. Were you guys aware that they were doing this? Or Not, at the, time. Not, the, Not time. the time. Like I'm saying, like I learned so much about the show or other what other teams were doing when I was watching it. You know? Like I don't, in the moment, um, you might hear stories, but your, your mind, at least for me, my mind was so focused and so, I mean, I was so revved up for those like 28 days that you know, my mind last, I, I didn't care what anyone else was doing, you know? And so, like I say, I do it. Like I, and I, like I was saying before, I, I've stayed good friends with Danny and, and, um, and Oswald. And so I, I do remember watching, I just remember watching the show being like, Oh man, there's, there was a lot, a lot of people doing stuff that I probably should have been doing. And yeah, they're really smart. So. Would Chris ever go out uh, shopping for new jeans with Oswald and Danny? Would they? Would, would he let them update his wardrobe after uh, 16 years? I think that'd be awkward, um, but maybe. I doubt it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, now all the all-male teams typically in the Amazing Race now, they wear uh, meggings instead of uh, jeans. Uh, I don't even know what those are. What they're like they're uh, they're masculine leggings. They're more more sporty. Oh. They're more appropriate. Oh, I got you. Even like oh, only yeah. in your guys' early seasons did they wear jeans, and now over time everyone even thinks right down to 
each shirt and pair of pants that they pack as to what I is know, best for the I know. race. Yeah, <laughs> what's the best for the race. That makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Now, Chris and, Chris and I probably could have been a little bit more fashion forward, but we, I don't think either one of us are to this day, but definitely not back then. Did you guys have a... I know you guys uh, played a, a lot of the race just by the seat of your pants throughout the season, but when you guys... Did, did you guys have any... Uh, thought beforehand as to when to take the fast forward because it seems like you guys had a really good strategy where you waited to take the fast forward when there was a team ahead of you but it was a team that had already taken the fast forward then you told all of the teams behind you that you were going to go for it yeah so what was the strategy behind that yeah like was that a set strategy or was that something you guys just did unintentionally no i mean i mean i think there was in the moment strategy is happening all the time you know, and I, I mean, Chris and I are pretty quick on our feet in, in the sense of saying it up. So there was nothing like deep thought strategy. It, everything is like, imagine living in the present in a hyper-focused world. And we're almost like weirdly, in my opinion, like time slows down a little bit. So in those moments, it's like, okay, yeah, this is a great set. We're made, we're not, Chris and I aren't sitting around discussing strategy. It's like, oh man, this would be a good idea. This, yeah, they think we're going this way. We need to go that way. Or we need to do this decision because it's going to help us in this way. So we would make pretty quick decisions and strategy on the fly very quickly and stick with it, whether it helped us or hurt us. So, Was going for that fast forward one of the biggest contributors to your guys' victory by the end of the season? That's a great question. Um, I think that obviously helped us, right, in that case. But I, I, like I said, I think overall – I think the reason why the, what I tell people when they ask me, like, what's the difference of like, you know, winning it or what was your advantage you had? I, like I say, I, I really truly think that Chris and I never, like, we never looked backwards. We never second guessed ourselves. We just went for it. Right. And so, and that's honestly like how I attack life. So it's just a natural way. Like I'll make a mistake two or three times, but I'll just keep moving on until it's right. And so I think overall our success was because we probably didn't overthink too, too much and just kept going. And there was no point in time ever whatsoever that we weren't going as fast as we could. And with an ounce of like, we were never discouraged, never like we're going to lose, never like we're going to give up. Never, that was never like an entrance in our, you know, never entered our mind. Yeah. It's always thinking that you're always, you're always in it. Never, no matter what happens during the race. Correct. Yeah. Were you guys aware? Uh, did you guys get any similar talks that uh, Mary and Peach did when they were in uh, South Africa? No. The, no locals saying that you were going to be killed going into that one neighborhood with the Epsom salt? <laughs> no, no one ever. We weren't. Any? I don't know. I, I, Chris and I probably wouldn't be worried about those scenarios anyway. And then especially knowing, you know, we're, we're competing on a show that nothing, you, you feel pretty invincible. I always felt like I was playing a video game. So it was never, no one ever said anything that like rattled our cages. Um, so no, we never had a scenario like that. Um, and were you guys aware that Mary and Peach were intentionally not checking in into the pit stop during the Hong Kong leg because they knew they were last and just wanted to have dinner beforehand and get a good meal in them and just take a nice uh, leisurely stroll onto the Chinese junk before being eliminated? No, like you, you learn about all that stuff after the fact, right? 
So when you know that happened again, that happened again at one point in New Zealand. They said Danny and Oswald, you know, they thought they were they thought they were so far behind us that they you know gave, gave up and just said, all right, we're gonna spin off here. And meanwhile, we were like neck and neck. So no, I never like a lot of this stuff. At least for me, didn't know about it until I, when I'm watching it. I'm watching it like with the viewers. So you're learning tons of information, tons of like little sub storylines. Um, just like the regular viewers are. And that's crazy because for, uh, you know, people that win the season, you assume that they're aware of everything else that's going on. But I guess it's a lot different from Survivor where, like, everyone is so independent throughout the race that, uh, yeah, watching, you're watching it just like everyone else is at home or for, for 10 elevenths of it, I guess. For sure. And especially when you think about our season was just, the, the race is much different now than it used to be. Right. I mean, the teams are bunched together. They're close together. It's, there's a lot more interaction between them during the race. And so there's maybe from what the viewer sees, because you're going to focus on these like main anchor points of the roadblock and the detour. But besides those points, you might get and you might be, you know, for sure you're going to be on planes. But there's a lot of times that you might see a team, but you don't know what the team's going through. You're like we were right. Chris and I were racing our own race the whole time. Yes, there was some drama with like Taryn Will and all these other people, but overall, like 90% of the time, I'm not, you know, you never have time. You're not sitting around during a pit stop. At least we're like, like, let me every team going through their whole storyline, right? Of exactly what happened. You know, you might hear a couple, you know, highlights, but that's it. So no. Yeah. How bad did you feel then as a viewer watching Shola and Dewey get into? Probably in 30 seasons, or even in the international version, so in close to 50 seasons of Amazing Race, just how much bad luck they had in their limited run for two guys where people thought that they were going to do really well. Yeah, <laughs> I felt bad for them, you know. I mean, there, there was points where, obviously, in Namibia, you know, they saved us um, because, you know, Chris and I would have been last then, you know, if they didn't get stuck in the desert, right? Um, yeah, so th there's a couple points, but yeah, they definitely, but I mean, that's, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, there's sometimes you're going to get, everyone's going to get bad luck. No, I guarantee you there's no racer in history that's gone through that race and never had dealt, you know, dealt a bad hand. It's going to happen. It a hundred percent is going to happen. It's just a matter of, you know, hopefully it's not a, such a deadly one where you get kicked out. Or get stuck in the middle of the Namibian desert or have a taxi driver uh, drive over your ankle repeatedly. That, for sure. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. Um, and your guys' final leg, was it? Did you guys know that there was going to be that chance to outrun Terran Well to the pit stop? Were you banking on, banking on uh, Terra's asthma to kick in and then? Will not being the best sprinter compared to you two. Take us through that whole uh, finish there. That finish? Um, finish was crazy. I mean, that, that like, I, I still think that goes as one of the craziest. I think it's a, I think we're still the closest race in history. Yeah, closest American wise, uh, but Latin, season two or three of Latino America's version was even closer where it was just like five or six yards uh, separated the winner from the runner-ups. <laughs> okay. But for American version. Okay. Yes. No, yeah. No so, doubt. <laughs> um, yeah. So, 
I mean, it was a crazy life. I mean, if you think about it, any three of those teams could have won. All great racers all around. And yeah, we, I mean, when we landed in San Francisco, it was on. And, uh, I mean, I was still worried, to be honest, about Paige and Blake, because that, when they left, I don't think, I don't think after they left the airport and they left the airport first, I don't think I ever saw them again. And so, but where I was, I mean, Tara and Will and Chris and I, I mean, we were leapfrogging each other. And at one second, we think we're out. One second, all of a sudden, we see them again. Then we think we're in front. We got it. Then they pass us. I mean, I can't, I could have cut, you could have cut the pressure with a knife. I mean, it was so intense. So intense. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a crazy, crazy finale. Um, and you know, I remember down on those, those piers, like, I mean, we ran forever. I mean, we were just guessing. I mean, we were running while guessing while people are pointing us in the right direction. It was like really the act of God that, you know, that final race, race that we, we, we won. But of course, you're never going to know. I was not thinking, oh my gosh, like I was never preparing. I will tell you a funny story though. I was never expecting us to like, oh wow, it's going to be, you know, a half a mile run at the end and yeah, we're going to be up against them. No, I did know that while I was in the middle of it, right? Like when we were right behind them and then this like driver got in front of us, they gained a little bit of time on us. You described it as a soccer mom car. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was just, I just remember someone pulling in front and they're going so slow. And I'm like, geez. And so it's like, I mean, I was just dying, dying. And we got out and I still, I mean, it, at first glance when I saw them running and I'm pretty sure at this point it's the thing. I mean, every five seconds you think it's the finish line at that point in time, but I'm like, this is it. I did not think they were catchable. Like, I, I mean, that's how far they were in front of us. Like I was just like, Oh my gosh. And Chris and I just kick it into gear. And if it would, you know, if it wasn't for that hill, I don't think we maybe would have caught them. I mean, the, the hill killed them and that's where we were able to, to gain our ground. So yeah, it's crazy. And you know, I always tell this story. And leading up to the race, the, I don't care remember if I was telling the story earlier on in the podcast or not, but I used to go and like, ra- I was I'd run the pier back and forth. I used to live in Jacksonville Beach. Did I tell this story? I don't think so, no. Okay, so I, when I lived in Jacksonville, Florida, prior to the race, I was waiting for the whole race to happen, and I would run to the pier and run back every day. It's a few miles. And on my way back, I would, I don't know why, Amazing Race is not about racing. It's not about running, you know, but I would like imagine the team in front of me, like 50 yards, 100 yards in front of me. That's the team. And I would, for whatever reason, I'd run past them, right? I'd like start sprinting past them. And I did that for like, you know, a couple months, like every single day. And it's really strange that that thought was coming into my head. I didn't plan it, wasn't trying to manifest it, wasn't doing anything special, but that thought came in my head every single run. And then ironically, while I'm on the amazing race at the finish line, exact same thing happened. I'm looking down the race. I got a team 50 yards in front of me and I got to pass them. So yeah, crazy. Yeah. Be, uh, be funnier though. If it was like the gutsy grannies in front of you at the finish line, you know, and I bet you your image wasn't picturing out running, uh, the gutsy grannies on the way to, uh, Phil Kogan at the end of the race. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah, and I imagine that whole finish and stepping onto the mat and winning the whole thing, probably one of the most memorable uh, moments of your life. Yeah, I mean, what was awesome, I mean, it's surreal at the moment. You almost can't believe it. Um, it you know, it wasn't about the money, although that was awesome. It was just about, you know, such an, a massive ordeal when you talk about from the beginning of being a casting 
during and then 9/11 happened and then not knowing if the show's going to happen then to be in you know actually yeah getting on the show and then actually competing on the show and so there you are winning the whole thing such a sense of accomplishment i remember chris and i were just like on cloud 9 i remember being in the hotel that night and the patriots won the super bowl uh there was a lot of like being from boston so it was a, it was an awesome awesome day and yeah and and to me it changed my whole life i mean i was it dramatically did. I mean, I was an international business major in college, worked in Boston, corporate guy. And, you know, the whole time I was racing around the world, I was like, this is, I, I, I the, you're not allowed to talk to producers and I could never stop talking to producers. So I was like, wait a second, this is your job. This is what you do. And so that gave a spark in me to, you know, go on and, and do travel adventure shows. And, you know, so it was a very defining moment in my life for sure. So 16 years since you've been in the cubicle, in other words. Exactly. Yeah. And I read that you've been to roughly after Amazing Race around the world for free and all of your other adventures that now you've been to 55 countries altogether, approximately. Yeah. Yeah. Probably probably there a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I've been very blessed to travel the world. That's for sure. What would be number 56 on the list? What would be what would be next? What's that one country Um, where you're like, how have I not been there yet? I think Indonesia and Fiji. I think those are two up there. They have everything I, I, I want. I love surfing, yoga, Fiji up mountains. Yeah, so Fiji, I'd say Fiji overall. It's, it's amazing that I haven't been there yet. It pretty much has everything that I like to do when, when it comes to travel. In Fiji, are you going to do like you did in Dominica and try to get another waterfall named after you? That would be nice. That would be nice. I think you got to be on a show. I'd have to be doing a show to get that type of clout, you know, but yeah. Or name the one in Fiji when you're just uh, going around, name it after uh, Chris or something. Yeah, maybe I'll do that. Chris needs a waterfall <laughs> for sure. It's a good idea. Awesome. Um, anything else that you want our listeners to know about your time on the race or anything in general? No, I think that's it. I hope everyone, you know, I hope everybody, uh, Keeps watching Amazing Race. It was an awesome journey. And I hope there's another 30 seasons down the road. Are you surprised that people still want to hear from you 16 hours, or not 16 hours, 16 years after uh, your victory? Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, times change and things move on. There's a lot of teams now, right? So there's a lot more present people. But I think that there's something about the old, there's something about the old school days. There's different, you know, a different experience, a different race, different, um, different all around. So I think it's, you know, it's like any of these shows, the beginning people, there's something really special about, you know, these are iconic shows now, right? I mean, really iconic shows that have, you know, standed the test of time. So to be able to be part of that first generation of, um, such an amazing experience is, you know, it's awesome. Yeah, you might not be aware of this too, but a couple of years ago here in Canada, because Canada's way crazier for Amazing Race and Survivor that, and Big Brother than a lot of countries are, but we had our own full season of a cartoon that was just a season-long parody of The Amazing Race. Really? Yeah, That's just funny. with cartoon, their own cartoon characters, yeah. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> So we have a couple of rapid, really ridiculous rapid fire questions that Michael and I have somehow uh, asked over the series of interviews we've had. Um, the first one is, who is your favorite 
a boy band member of NSYNC and or the Backstreet Boys. I can't even think of one of their names. Like, I don't know. Um, I, Mark Wahlberg? We'll, we'll go with Mark Wahlberg. I, I, we'll go with Mark Wahlberg. He's, got, he's a legend. Marky Mark. Yeah. Maybe they'll have him on the Amazing Race now that they've had uh, Jonathan Knight from New Kids on the Block. Maybe, yeah. Um, who would win in a fight, a baboon or a badger? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm going to go with the badger. A badger? We had a huge streak of people saying baboon, and now this is the second week in a row where people have been picking badger. Yeah, badgers, they got low center of gravity. So like they'll, you know. So you're picturing more of like a wrestling match. Yeah, I just feel like the badger is like overall scrappier. Yeah. Just that Iranian badger just ready to take the baboon down. If it's an Iranian badger, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that is, I don't know if we have any other rapid fire questions. We usually get more and more embarrassed each week that we ask them. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's it. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for coming on. It's been a lot of fun. Went through a lot of content from things that happened uh, a very long time ago. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, sounds good. It's been fun. <laughs>